morning, everyone. Um, pleasure to be here. Also terrifying to be here. Um, but, you know, I'm sure as you can sort of imagine, kind of nervous, you know, Mark just prayed for me. Thank you, Mark. Um, I'm first time preaching, so I'm nervous about that. But add into that mix that um, there's actually a theological lecturer in the room who teaches me throughout the week. <laughs> but I'd like to point out that semester doesn't start till tomorrow, so this doesn't count. Um, but yeah, so thanks for having me. Um, I want to start off, um, we're continuing our journey through the exiles um, in Daniel 3 today. Um, and I want to start off by recapping sort of what's gone before. Um, so Paul started, he introduced us to this idea of, of Daniel and the world that he was in. It should come up on the thing behind me. It's that on PowerPoint, so I can shout at him if he gets it wrong. Um, but we start off, we saw, we saw that Daniel lived in a world um, that was losing faith. Um, you know, choice, rationale, power. Babylon was this powerful kingdom. Um, and, and in that, you know, there was challenges to Daniel and challenges to him and his friends with their faith. Um, they were losing hope. Um, it sort of seemed like it had passed the tipping point of, of sort of the hope that, that the Jews could have had. You know, they've been conquered. Um, their, their artifacts had been stolen um, from the temple. And, and sort of, there were just, there were these exiles. There were these people living in a land that wasn't theirs. And they were maybe asking questions like, can God act today? How can I believe in God today still? And then, they were in this brave new world, this world where every hot topic, every ideal, every thought, every sort of question of thinking and theology was being flipped on its head. Um, it was a very multi-theistic um, culture, and, and you know there were so many religions, so much stuff asking questions of them. Um, and you know, it, it's it's not hard to see the the matchups between da- Daniel's world or Babylon and Northern Ireland today. Um, when you think about stuff like that, like all the hot topics that are being mixed up, all the things that we're thinking about. Um, and then Ali, last week, brought us into this idea and showed us this way that God had worked and shown that um, you know, God's kingdom was, will fall um, and that it will never be destroyed and the hope that that gave Daniel and his friends. Um, and so into Daniel 3, I have a confession just to start off with. When Paul asked the question about, um, you know, when I say Daniel, what do you think? I immediately, well, first of all, I said Daniel Hewitt, but that doesn't count. Um, secondly, um, I turned to Caitlin and Beth and was like, oh, the fiery furnace, you know, fiary furnace. You, anyone could write a sermon on the fiery furnace, you know, it's such an easy thing. So beware, God is listening, because Paul later that week asked me to speak on the fiery furnace. Um, but yeah, so, so just a bit of an ironic turn of events there. But to start off with, um, again, Paul and Ali have started by getting us talking to each other. And I thought, don't fix it if it ain't broke. So... I want you to turn to each other and in the next minute um, just discuss what is your party trick or the thing that you can do that you think no one else can do. You said one minute, go. So now that we're all aware that everyone we're sitting beside is weird and does weird things, their bodies do weird things, uh, let's bring it back in. Um, or not, we'll just keep talking. Um, but my party trick is that I have double jointed elbows so I can kind of make my elbows look like they pop out. I, don't, I won't do it at the front of church in case there's some of us that are screaming. <laughs> prove it. Ian says, prove it. No. Um, if you want to see it, I'll show you after. Um, but that's my party trick. Um, and sort of that's kind of, the reason I ask you to do that is because when I was looking through Daniel 3 and looking at the, the passage, you know, it's so well known and, and you can sort of pull things out of it straight away. But I got a different sort of thing from it this time when I was going through it. And I got three questions. Um, the first one, how are we different? The second one, what is the cost of being different? Or how were they, how were they different? What was the cost of their difference? Um, and the third one um, was what was the outcome of their difference in this story? There's, there's three friends. There's no mention of Daniel. We're not really sure why. He could have been out on 
uh, you know, civic duty for the king or whatever. Um, he could have just been above this after his recent exploits with interpreting dreams and things. Um, but I wanted to ask these questions. And the first question, actually, me and Paul were at the planning thing for Nia, and that question was asked, how are we different? Um, and, and it was asked to the people at the meeting, how are we different as, as Christians, as the church? How are we different? How are people noticing that we're different? How is Christ working through us being different in our world? And so I was really challenged as I thought about that through this story. But we'll get first into the first question, how were they different? Um, Daniel 3 verse 1 uh, starts off, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 90 feet high and 9 feet wide and set it up on the plain in, of Jura in the province of Babylon. And I thought that was quite funny to read first thing after Daniel's just interpreted a dream where a big statue that was built gets destroyed by a rock. Nebuchadnezzar thinks the best thing to do is to go out and build a big statue. Um, but he didn't learn from what Daniel had said. And so that's the first thing I noticed. Like, we live in a world that's constantly ignoring God. We live in a world that, that maybe things are happening or maybe you're learning lessons or we were even talking about it in the prayer meeting. Like People maybe have encounters with God or feel something with God, go on a bit of a journey, but then leave it. Um, and, and so how are we different in that circumstance? How's our difference? How are we going out and how are we um, challenging that sort of idea of just ignoring God? But verse 2 continues. Um, he then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come, and to, come to the dedication of the image he had set up. And said like that, you know, this sort of thing, this statue, where they were coming to see what they were coming to do, wasn't just sort of a small group, 10, 15 people. This was like an entire nation's officials. There could have been hundreds um, of people there. Um, and so in the midst of this, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are found. Um, sort of, I like to picture it, you know, imagine the SSE Arena, Ren Collective Concert or something like this, Alan and Nicola front row. And, and, whatever, and, and there's so many people around, and they're told, worship this statue. They're told when the, when the music plays and stops, bow down and worship this statue. Um, and that's where the first question comes in for me, of how were they different? Because the three of them were called to a compromise. They weren't called necessarily to give up God, because actually the king's command was, you know, when the, when the music plays at this specific time, bow down to this statue. At this specific time, go down and, and worship something else. Just, just doesn't matter, because Babylon was all about being progressive and being, you know, everyone can have the religion, everyone can do what they want, but just respect each other's and live by others as well. And so the king was actually just commanding them, you know, bow down and worship this statue just for now. You don't have to give up your God, but bow down and worship this statue. And surrounded by their peers, um, surrounded by potentially fellow Jews, fellow exiles, um, these three were some of the only three who decided not to compromise. They decided not to compromise um, and bow down to this statue. They decided not to put other gods before their god. And so the question I had for myself was, where am I being tempted to compromise today? Um, the story of the grass, you may wonder what that's about. Um, another story that was shared with me recently was this idea of, in LA, there's a lot of drought, there's not much rain. Um, and so the grass there dies and gets quite brown. And, uh, you know, um, people really want green gardens, they want their garden to look amazing. And there was this guy going around, he actually got on the news because his business was doing so well, he was going around spraying grass, spraying the, spraying the gardens, and very quickly, with this whatever chemical it was, the garden would look amazing. The garden would look lush. It would look green. It would look really beautiful. And so we got in the news, and the news team asked him, what's your secret? What have you got? What are you doing? What's, what are you doing? How, how are you making this grass green? Are you going to tell us your secret? And he said, yeah, sure. It's green paint. 
And, and it's a stupid story, but, but this idea of this green paint, this idea that the grass wasn't good, it wasn't alive, it wasn't well, it looked okay, it actually probably looked quite good, but actually, deep down, it was dead. And so in the same way, when I was challenged on how am I compromising, am I painting my life green in some ways? Am I painting stuff green that maybe isn't green? Is there stuff that's killing me on the inside, but the outside looks fine? And then I thought, what were the statues and idols about, about, about where to bow down and who to bow down to? You know, is it the big stuff in life? Is it, is it legislation and law? Is it um, this idea of you know, the, the whole of thinking and modern thinking being flipped on its head? Um, is it, you know, we live in a society as well that's sort of drifting from Christian Northern Ireland. And so in that, am I being tempted to allow that to happen? Am I being tempted to just go with the flow or even encourage it? Because, you know, young, sort of being trying to persuade it into this, what the world is saying. And am I painted green or am I truly green? Am I different to the world? Or maybe is it daily? Is it in the success that I want at school or at work? Is it in the success that I want in the social standings of football teams or you know, for me, it's football, but it's hockey or rugby or whatever, whatever it is in your social circles. You know, what ways am I being tempted to compromise? And so I want to challenge, throw that out there as well, and say, what ways are we being tempted to compromise? You know, the world may tell me to look at this or to look like this or, or to say this or to watch this or to, to do business like this. But what do I do and how in ways are we compromising? And then in a conversation with Paul and Ali, I was struck, you know, Ali, Ali mentioned in a line, and he, it was this question, you know, is it a really big deal if I'm doing this? Because actually I'm serving the church in other ways here. Is it a really big deal if I'm not, you know, tithing maybe because I'm actually serving in another way? Is it a really big deal if I'm watching this? But actually, you know, I'm, I'm on Sunday school or I'm teaching kids about, about this. Is it okay if I'm doing this and ignoring this? And where are we compromising? Where's the compromise in our lives? And so then the next part I thought of in the picture there is, is, you know, there's so many people around us, is the response of Shadrach, Meshach, and Bendigo, was it to stay at home? You know, they were probably given a command or a letter given out or something that called them to this place. And, you know, if you see a 90-foot statue and you're called to come to the statue, there's probably something a bit dodgy going on there. Do you just stay at home? Do you just stay back and go, not for me, Nebuchadnezzar, you can have that, but that's not for me. I would suggest no, because these three didn't say no. They were present in the surroundings that they find themselves in. They were present in, in, their, in their community, in their, in their society, and they went to the ceremony. And I think that's important. I think it's important that if we want to be different and if we want to see God move, and for me, I was challenged, if I want to see God move in my life, I need to be in my community. I need to be in the presence of those who are maybe doing stuff that isn't good for me, but I don't need to remove myself entirely from that. Um, they weren't, you know holding back in their homes and ivory towers, you know, judging and rebuking what they were seeing, but actually they were present. But when it came to, you know, do or don't, they didn't. And they refused. They towed the line between being in the world and not of the world. And they showed integrity to God who had placed them there and to Nebuchadnezzar who had commanded them to be there, but ultimately respecting the greater authority that was in that and not compromising on the teachings that they knew. And so when I look at the resolve and I look at this bravery, this, this desire to not conform, I'm challenged as well. Like in what ways? Are there places where I'm compromising? Are there places where it's easier to not compromise? Are there places where it's easier to do what's right? Um, so, so that was just another challenge I had. And then finally, um, from this first question, 
Um, how were they different in the way they responded to the king? Verse 16 uh, reads, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand. And I noticed that in that response, there wasn't a lot of bitterness. There wasn't a lot of aggression. There wasn't a harsh word for the king. There wasn't complaint to the king. There wasn't uh, you know, vulgar stuff said to the king. There was humility and grace from them. It was, king, we know you're going to do this to us. King, we know that we're going to be thrown into the furnace. We know what's going to come. But actually, there was just a peace and a knowledge and a calm that God was bigger and that God actually was in control regardless. They didn't see the need to shout him down or fight him down. And I'm challenged with that whenever, you know, I'm maybe being forced to compromise or pushed into things. And I want to fight it and I want to stop it and I want to be aggressive and I want to grab it and be like, no, go away. But actually, they were just quite humble and they were, they were integral to what they knew. And these three weren't going to be painted green. Ultimately, they were going to be in the world and they were going to be right down to the very core, green and alive in God and alive in Christ and alive in their faith. Well, maybe not Christ, he hasn't showed up yet, but... Theologically, you can debate that one later. Um, I'm struck again, like I'm, I'm aware, I'm 21. Um, you know, a lot of life left to live, hopefully. Um, but I might not necessarily know what that means for you today. I may not necessarily know, if you're a doctor, what that means going in with legislation changes, what compromises there mean. I may not know, with, as a teacher in the classroom, um, what compromising there looks like and the challenge that's thrown up against that. I may not know as a civil servant in an office, as a shopping assistant, as someone working the, the till at the chippy, as, as going to Mums and Toss Group. I don't necessarily know where your compromises are, and I'm not here to point the finger and say, you're compromising, Suzanne, you're compromising. Not at all, but I want to challenge us, because I've been challenged myself in reading this. How am I compromising? Because I'm sure, I hope, I'm not the only one. <laughs> so how does it look? when we're authentically alive in Christ and not just spray-painted green. So, moving on. What was the cost of their obedience? For me, this passage sort of revolves around two verses. Um, verse 17 and 18 read, If we are thrown into the furnace, into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. But even if he does not, we want you to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. In this moment, these three friends draw a line in the sand. Um, they, just, they decide that despite the consequences, despite um, what, whatever it's going to bring them, despite uh, whatever comes their way, they've drawn this line. They've drawn them. They've decided, no, this is it. I'm different. I'm going to be different. I'm going to stick to what I know. Whatever compromise um, will get me in benefit, it's not worth it. I'm going to draw this line in the sand. And the thing I'm sort of struck by is the big question is how. You know, in the midst of this, the goalposts are even shifted after they make this decision because when they make this decision, the king responds by heating up the furnace seven times the heat. He gets the strongest men to tie them up. And even in the midst and in the face of this literal death approaching them and this, this punishment that's ever-changing and getting ever worse, 
they stick to this obedience and they stick to this sort of lack of compromise on what they know is not right. And so my question is how? And as I thought about this, um, I tried to think of some sort of practical reason maybe. Maybe they had planned an escape right out the back door of the furnace or maybe they had something to get away. But it just came down to almost like a Sunday school answer. They looked at the punishment before them they looked at what was coming. They looked at the death. and They would have had days to sort of watch the furnace get heated. To heat it seven times would have taken a long time. So they would have watched as this got hotter and hotter. They would have watched as the men who bringing them in died, bringing them to the furnace. And they were left living and thinking, what are you doing, God? Why is everyone dying around me? I'm not even dead yet. They would have watched this all happen. They would have watched themselves get tied up. And the weight of that measured against the weight of their God and the size of the God, and the provision of their God for their people, and the, the power of God that they knew. And they balanced it, and they thought, what is, what's, what's scarier? What's going to help me more? What, what is the bigger provision here? And so, in that scale, like, I say this like it's an easy decision, because literally they were looking at death, but they saw the size of their God. They saw the size of their faithfulness of God. They saw the, what God had done in the scriptures. They they. They hadn't really, you know, Paul mentioned, they hadn't really seen miracles necessarily happening too much um, for about 200 years. So it wasn't as if they could look back and go, oh, I remember when we saw that pillar of fire, but they saw in their faith in God outbalanced the death and the cost of their, of their persecution. And what does that look like in Northern Ireland, 2020, Western society? I don't see many furnaces about Stormont. Controversial statement to make. <laughs> But where are we drawing the line? Where are we taking whatever the world's going to throw at us? Maybe the powers and authorities are, going to, are, are punishing us. Where are we seeing that? Where are we drawing this line and deciding, no, we're going to be different? And not even necessarily because we know that God is good, but because we know that the people doing it need to know that God is good. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, in a sense, knew that Nebuchadnezzar needed to see the power of this God. They needed to see how faithful God's people were. And in a sense, where are we seeing that in our society today? And that's the challenge I've been struck with massively, is where am I, through my obedience, through my perseverance, where am I seeing you know, the people around me challenged and the people who are even persecuting me challenged because of that? It's not hard to think of reasons why the world needs to see Christ. There is so much hurt, suffering, depression, anxiety, broken families, fill in the blanks for whatever you think, or whatever you want. There's so much hurt in our world. So how does it measure up? The compromise versus God. How does that measure up? And so final question then, moving on, is what was the outcome of being different? Um, there's two things in the story, really. Um, the first is that Nebuchadnezzar glorified God. Um, you know, you sort of see in uh, verses 28 to 30, um, where is it? Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than their own, rather than their own God. Or, sorry, give up their lives rather than serve or worship any gods except their own God. Therefore I decree that people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces, and their houses be turned into piles of rubble. Nice. 
for no other god can serve in this way, can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego in the province of Babylon. And we see immediately that there is a change in that idea of this, this difference, this lack of compromise, this persistence in, in what they knew was right caused a change in Nebuchadnezzar. Now, it wasn't the final change, um, sort of as Paul's going to continue next week. And, and you know, Nebuchadnezzar continues a journey of going through, you know, defying God, seeing God, defying God, seeing God. And that journey continues, and, and he goes through more of this after this. But he went from throwing people in a furnace to cutting up people who were going to slag off the God of the people he was going to throw in the furnace. In a sense, his whole mindset is flipped on its head. But secondly, um, and somewhat more importantly, I, I found for me anyways, as I was looking through this, was these three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were brought into direct encounter with the living God. Or at least with what it says, look like the sons of God. Verse 25 reads, um, he said, Look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. So it might not have been God himself, might not have been um, Jesus or whatever. But through their obedience and through their persecution and through their perseverance, they were immediately brought into a direct encounter with the power of the living God. They were walking through the fire and they were protected by him. It says not even a hair or a thread of clothing was singed on them. I need to clarify that I don't think that applies to all challenges, um, sadly. I don't think that necessarily physical protection is the outcome of obedience. I think, I think of examples today. Um, you, know, you look at the persecuted church and what's going on and in countries far away, you can look in Ethiopia and stories of 13 Christians killed in the street coming out of church and, and different things like that. And I couldn't stand here and say, you know, obedience to God leads to, leads to physical protection, leads to physical provision, because that wouldn't be right. But there's one thing, and, and if you even look at Stephen as well in the Bible, the first martyr, his face glowed as he was stoned to death. But in this case, I feel like the physical protection is almost secondary to the spiritual encouragement or the spiritual power, or the spiritual movement that would have happened in these three guys as they stood face to face with the power of God. For the first time in almost 150, 200 years, they were witness to and directly encountered by a miraculous manifestation of the living God. And again, I wish I could stand here and say that that's what happens every time. You know, I, know I've, I haven't been through much persecution, I, I would say, but any time it has happened or any time I've been mocked or scorned, Jesus hasn't appeared beside me. An angel hasn't shown up and that's okay. I still believe that God is with me because there's one thing we can claim to have that's exactly the same as they had in that moment. As Christians, through what Christ has done, as parts of the church with him, we have the Holy Spirit of God within us. And so in a sense, we can claim that same truth that they claimed. We can claim that same truth that the God that was with them in the furnace is directly with us in our furnaces, in our challenges. There's a, there's a song by, called Waymaker, um, and there's a line in it that says, even when I can't see it, you're working. And that truth is so, is so true. Like Even when we can't see it, we have God with us. Even when we don't feel it, we have God with us. And so again, I'll just ask the question of what is the place of compromise and what is the cost that God, or that you maybe see, is happening to yourself? There's a pastor um, 
in America from a church called Life Church. He's called Craig Groeschel, I think. Paul, keep me right. I think he made the version Bible app or something. Well, Paul's nodding. I don't know if he knows. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but he was quoted saying um, that victory isn't in what you conquer later. It's being faithful and obedient today. And so with all the other outcomes in mind, for me, the most important part of this, and as I was thinking about this, and, and, and as I was looking at this, the victory for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego wasn't that they were able to come out and gloat to the king that they'd got out, and this thing, his, his plan hadn't worked, and the God had protected them. A big part of that was like giving glory to God, and a big part of that was God's protection in the story and the, and, the, and the impression that would have left on people behind them. But actually, the victory for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was in being obedient today. And again, I was challenged with the idea of how have I obedient today? Am I focused on the outcome of what my obedience might get me? Am I focused on the outcome of, of what I want to see in, my, in where I'm at or where, where I've been placed in my life? Am I focused on um, the world and how I want to see it changed? Or am I just focused on wanting to be obedient to God today? Because absolutely looking forward to the future is, I believe, a good thing. And looking forward and wanting to see change and wanting to see powerful movement is totally a good thing. But how am I maybe putting that above just obedience today? And in the times when compromise is really being pushed on me, in the times when compromise is really um, seeming like a nice option, am I turning and going, where am I being obedient today? Because my victory isn't in what will happen if I don't or what will happen if I do. My victory is just in being obedient today. Um, I want to share a short story just of something. It's, it's very not hyper-spiritual or anything like this, but it was a way in which I've sort of seen recently this idea of difference sort of sort of come out in my life. Um, and again, this is not a brag because it's not really that big of a story, but as I was preparing, I sort of, it, it came to me and sort of felt I'd share it with you. So um, I play for a local football club. Ethan Barr plays for it too. Um, and, uh, you know, if you've ever played in a sports team, if you've been involved in the changing room, the atmosphere there, the 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 idea the the sort of lads banter the hostile words between each other maybe on the pitch and especially maybe the younger and newer members on the team can be quite difficult to take and um, it could be quite horrendous um actually and sort of i so i was sort of in that i was sort of a, a younger player and for the past couple of years i've been a younger player on the team and sort of was on the receiving end of a lot of that and so i was really like discouraged by a lot of this, sort of find myself liking football less, sort of find myself really down about football and wanting to sort of give it up a wee bit, sort of wanting to drop back a bit. And so I maybe trained a bit less and then dropped down the team. But actually in dropping down the team, um, you know, and this is, again, not a brag, um, but when you go from bottom of the upper teams down, you kind of sort of find yourself a bit more of the upper of the lower teams. Um, again, not a brag, because that literally would be like, you know, Marcus Rashford claiming he's top goal scorer for Oxford United. Um, it's, not, it's not that big of a deal. Um, but when I found myself dropping down a team, I saw a chance, and, and this wasn't a big spiritual chance, but I did see a chance to sort of change that culture, change that idea of, you know, how is the positive talking in this team going to change? How is the positivity and the change I'm going to change? How, is, how am I going to be different? Because what I've received made me hate this. So how can I be a bit different and make people enjoy this? Um, it also helps, you know, Ethan and Harry playing on the same team, and if you're their, you're their youth worker, it sort of gives you a wee bit of accountability there as well. <laughs> um, but 
I sort of then tried to take this, and it was, it was not spiritual. Like, I wasn't bringing necessarily the Bible into the changing room every week. It was just positive words, maybe, or positive something here or there. But actually, then I noticed and got, started getting message after message each week from either players or from, in particular, the, the manager of the, of the second team that he was noticing, like, this positivity that was being brought, and he was really impressed by it, and he was really thinking the young guys were enjoying it. And so even in that, I found encouragement. Even in that, I found that it's not necessarily that he was like, Josh, I saw you say something really nice to Ethan, and I'm a Christian now. This is incredible. It wasn't that. It was just this idea that he noticed this difference. He noticed this change. He noticed this sort of change in culture, and that, in a sense, was causing a change in him or even causing him to think about things or thinking about the way the club maybe hap- like things that happen in the club. And so it doesn't need to be super spiritual, but how are we different? And so what? I... Uh, Nearly finished, yep. Um, sort of bring it to a close. There's a song that I discovered recently, um, and I was thinking about it. If you listen to a sermon and sort of a lot of, like I've spoken for a lot here and said a lot very quickly. I'm very aware of that. Nerves are a big part of that. But um, if, if, if you struggle to pick loads of things out, let this be the thing that you pick out. And let this be the thing that you can sort of cling to. Um, it's a song by Cody Cairns, and it's called Christ Be Magnified, and the bridge of it sort of sums up a lot of what I was hoping to portray. Maybe you'll hear it and be like, what? Um, but uh, but I'm, hoping, I'm hoping that this comes across. And, that, and so I'll read it out um, now. It goes, I won't bow to idols. I'll stand strong and worship you. And if it puts me in the fire, I'll rejoice because you're there too. I won't be formed by feelings. I'll hold fast to what is true. If the cross brings transformation, then I'll be crucified with you. Because death is just the doorway into resurrection life. And if I join you in the suffering, then I'll join you when you rise. And when you return in glory with all the angels and the saints, my heart will still be singing and my song will be the same. I won't bow to idols. I'll stand strong and I'll worship you. And if it puts me in the fire, I'll rejoice because you're there too. Because death is just the doorway into resurrection life. And if I join you in your suffering, then I'll join you when you rise. And that song sort of, for me, encapsulated a lot of this. How are we different and what's the cost of that? As much as the physical pain or the emotional pain or whatever pain it'll cause, in the fire we are with Jesus, in the fire we are with God. And I was challenged like, <laughs> to just wear this sort of as like a, an ethos or like a logo for myself. Like I won't bow to idols, I'll stand strong. I won't be formed by feelings. I'll hold fast to what I know is true. You know, if the cross is going to transform me, then Lord, take me, crucify me in whatever way uh, you see in the big stuff and in the little stuff. Because death is just the doorway into resurrection life, into fulfilling life, into life to the full. And if I join you in your suffering, then I'll join you when you rise. And so to sum up then, three questions. How are we different? What would it look like if, you know, Paul mentioned a few weeks ago, we carried this resolve and obedience that these three and that Daniel showed? What would it look like if we decided to walk in a way that was different and, and be in a way that was different, in a way that we've been called to? What would it look like if I did this? I've saying a lot of we. This is not so for me. Um, and, and I just hope it challenges as well. What's the cost going to be for our difference? 
what do we keep? This perspective of God, perspective of how big God is, of how great God is, of, of God's provision in our lives up till now. What if we kept this perspective of God Almighty with us in our sufferings and balanced it up against the cost that we were facing? And what could the outcome look like? How could your work, school, sports teams, home, whatever it is, be changed and affected by the difference and obedience to God which we've been called to, the obedience like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the victory, where would the victory be in the obedience today rather than necessarily the outcome down the road? And so, close to, close to being done, but I just hope, um, I think we're going to go into communion next. Yeah. So I hope that as we take this time to pause, um, a hope of mine and a prayer of mine for myself is that I hope that um, and for all of us, is that while we're taking communion and while we're thinking about this, where the Holy Spirit would just poke and prod at different places where we might be tempted to compromise. The places where maybe Christ has fallen down the pecking order of lordship. Maybe he's fallen to second or third and maybe he needs to be put back there. I just pray that the Holy Spirit points that out in me um, and I hope for all of us as well. And then just to be excited about this difference, this excited of how are we different what could happen in our communities if we were different? What could happen in our towns as we were diff- if we were different? What could happen in our schools or in our workplaces if we were different? How are we different?